You're listening to Mend, Life at the Seams. Hi, I'm Amy Day. And I'm Annie Freaky. Each season, we deep dive into a select community to hear their tales in hopes that we may shed some new light of understanding in that given corner of the world. In this season of Mend, we start digging in our own backyards. Beneath the stereotypes and sensationalized portrayals of criminals, greed, and environmental destruction, to the origins of Humboldt County's marijuana culture, the backs of the landers, the activists, the families, the farmers, and the medicine makers. In a landscape that is rapidly shifting, we go back to the beginning to see where we started, where we've come thus far, and hopefully shed some light on the path that's yet to come. So join us. Pull up a chair, pour a glass, and listen. In this episode, we speak with a mother, medicine maker, and small-scale farmer who understands cannabis to be not only a medicine for physical ailments, but also a spiritual medicine and teacher. She speaks of ceremonies, cannabis as ambassadors between the plant world and human world, and growing her plants with prayer and intention. She shares with us her hopes for Humboldt's future and offers gratitude for having a place to share these stories with the bigger world because, as she says, yes, we might be outlaws, but we're really good people. This interview takes us deep into the soul connection that is possible with marijuana and hopefully inspires others to question what is lost when money and quantity become the main driving force of cultivation. So we just want to welcome you. Thank you, Catnip, for being here today. Um, And... um, So we've been talking to people um, who are veterans inside this life and industry. Um, So, and I think by by that we mean they put at least a good decade worth of their life into this this work. And um, so I just wonder if you could tell us a little bit about you and um, the role you play within the the ganja culture up here in Humboldt County. Well, okay. Well, thank you for having me here. Um, So I've been, in the Gondra industry for about um, 17 years. When I moved to Humboldt County, my partner was growing and I had been very interested in herbal medicine a lot. And of course, and I love to farm and here is, you know, the best cash crop that we could farm. So that's what we did. Um, along with a big vegetable garden and an orchard and vineyard and many other plants too. And, uh, So, um, yeah, and so I've been doing that and making medicines with it for all this time. How did you make your way to Humboldt? You're not, you're not from Humboldt. No. So we, that's one of the things we're collecting these origin stories of what brought people here, how they heard about the place, how they came here. So I was born down in the Bay Area and then I made my way up to Arcata visiting a friend who was going to college here. Um, and then eventually went up to Southern Oregon for a while. But then when I came back, I was, I was in Arcata again with my friends and met my partner and we fell in love and I ended up in Southern Humboldt from there. And that's 
how that all started. <laughs> and I've been here ever since. Um, so were you, were you aware of the marijuana culture in Humboldt when you were here? Uh, I was aware of it. And I wasn't really, it wasn't why I came and it wasn't, I knew it was around, but it wasn't really a focus of mine. And, um, but then as I came, I started meeting more people and, and that's what we were doing. And so it became more, but there wasn't as many people growing when I first arrived, you know, there was definitely people, there were a lot of ma and pa growers, but it wasn't, it wasn't like just the only thing everybody was doing, you know, it was more, um, that was kind of helping them support other things that they were doing also, you know, so it was like a extra income kind of thing. Okay. A lot. So. Yeah. So, so that wasn't what drew you here, um, but that's what made it possible for you to be here. Exactly. Because, you know, I love, I love the beauty of this place and I love um, the people and the culture there. It felt really like home, um, but it's, you know, it's hard to make a living out in the country. And so it's nice. We we're do other things too. We have a fruit tree nursery and we grew some vegetables and, you know, other plants too, but you know, it's hard to make money with all that. And so the cannabis was what would help us to support everything else that we were doing. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So, okay. We have a friend who has passed away, but he was an old logger that lived out in the hills. And he used to talk about Humboldt County before marijuana came. And he, you know, he was born in Oregon, raised in a logging camp down in Humboldt County, lived out in the hills, was just the quintessential mountain man. And he used to tell these stories about um, how poor Humboldt was before uh, marijuana came to Humboldt. And he would tell stories like, um, you know, it's, they had to build a shed and they couldn't afford nails. So his dad said, all right, go in the house and take out every other nail and we'll use those. <laughs> and I remember one of the stories was, he was a heavy smoker. That's actually what ended up killing him. But um, he was, he was a heavy smoker, but he had, he always had hand rolled cigarettes, I guess, growing up. That's what they had when they were so poor. And he said the most beautiful thing he had ever seen was his first store-bought cigarette, just how white and clean it was. Cause everything was so dirty and the cigarettes were always hand rolled. And so that just, you talking about, you know, when you came here that, um, marijuana was a way for people maybe to make ends meet or, you yes. know, it wasn't like the big thing that everybody yes. was doing. It's just, it was a way for people to, yeah, to make ends meet. Yeah, it seemed like a lot of people had, you know, other things that their life was around and then the, the cannabis was supporting whatever else they were doing. It wasn't their end all. Most people had gardens, mm -hmm. vegetable gardens, and they were growing food. And I've noticed that recently a lot of those vegetable gardens have turned into marijuana uh. gardens and um, yeah. they it's just, you know, all the, the agricultural spots are taken with the cannabis and not so much for feeding themselves. It's so, you know, it's just the way it's become, you know, it's really changed a lot. You got to make money to shop at the co-op. Yes, I guess so. <laughs> but then you know, vegetables. So you know. <laughs> 
Anyway, we have this so, debate going on in my home all the time where we kind of, I think it's a line we stole from an Ana DeFranco song, but it's basically, it's like, is it about making a living or is it about making a killing? And I think we kind of go back and forth. It's like in any major life decision, it's like, what are we doing this for? Do we do this to fuel our dreams and our, you know, the way we want to live on this planet or, you know, not support our family? Or is this about, you know, just stacking up dollar bills in the bank, basically? So, yeah, yeah. I think... Yeah, living or killing, that's, that seems to be <laughs> what it comes down to. Um, you know, this is something we haven't touched upon, but I'm, I'm interested in it, you know. So we wondered what it would be like to get people to talk in such a public forum like this. Um, uh, so come on, you know, literally on the record and share their stories. And so I would imagine that... Um, with more and more people in engaged in this work, engaged in this industry, maybe it's become a little bit easier to be out, I guess, about, about what, how you, you know, how you make your money, how, how you live your life. But um, can you just speak a little bit to that? Was there kind of, um, you know, back in when you first started, was there kind of a, a level of secrecy that you felt you needed to maintain? And how yeah, has that changed? It definitely felt like it was a little more hush hush back then. I mean, there was definitely your your group of friends, and you know, but you were a little more even going into the by amendments. You know, you kind of feel a little funny about about that. Where now it's like you don't even think about it. You just go in and bring. You can even bring your plant material and say, "There's a problem here. <laughs> What's going on?" You know, um, where it didn't used to be that way. So. It's, it's changed. It's definitely gotten a lot more relaxed, which I like that, you know, that people are more open about what's going on. But, um, you know, and I, I definitely voted for it to become legal because I feel like it mm. should be, you know, it's, it, we should be free to, to have this. But it's also the legalization has changed the industry as far as um, it just feels like a lot of people are just really in it to make a buck right now and it's not the the whole essence of what the plant is about and that this is a living plant and it's medicine and it's you know going for you know it's just it's right now it seems like that most of the people are you know it's all about dollar bills it's the green rush but it's not about the um you know the whole spirit of the plant and what it can do for us you know and so yeah, yeah. You, and so you do, I mean, just from what little bit we've, <laughs> we've learned about best far, do you, it sounds, so you do have a connection to just living things in general. It sounds like this is, this farming bit is anything that grows, right? Anything that nourishes, anything that is, uh, you know, healthful and beautiful. Um, and so I wonder if you could, because I think my perception is that some of the, um, you know, uh, you know, back when there was just Proposition 215 and all of a sudden people were getting their prescriptions and, you know, you could get a prescription for anything, you know, so it almost seems to me that that the plant as medicine got almost a little, um, I, that the medicinal qualities, the true medicinal qualities maybe were a little bit overshadowed by the fact that everybody all of a sudden had ailments that could magically be cured by, by marijuana. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> I get headaches, I, whatever it is. I don't, you know, I, I yell at my kids sometimes, whatever it is. Anyway, but, um, <laughs> which you probably could help that, but, um, 
I, I wonder if you could just speak to your own personal relationship of um, to, to this plant as medicine. You know, how, how, how does that show up in your life? How do you relate to it as, as a you know, spiritual medicinal entity? And how does that change how you work with it? Well, um, as far as uh, medicinal, I mean, I do use it for headaches. Actually, it works quite well. <laughs> Um, it, and it I is, realized with those examples, I was like, these are not the ones examples I meant. <laughs> it actually has a lot of medicinal qualities, which is really what's very wonderful about this plant, but it has been blown up to be like this panacea of like it can cure anything. And mm -hmm. I've really tried to, like when I'm making herbal medicine, I've been working with a, a collective, a CBD collective. I've been trying to blend it with other herbs to work more synergistically. So we're not just only focusing on cannabis, but how can we use all of herbal medicine to help us, you know, with our problems. Um, so yeah, it's, it's incredible as far as like anti-inflammatory, um, for pain, you know, for uh, neurological thing like seizures and that um, type of thing. It's, it's been really amazing. We've been seeing incredible results for people that have been using it, children with seizures, uh, epilepsy, and um, people like with Parkinson's and things like that. It's been really amazing. So I think it's an incredible, and I, I, I'm excited about that part of it, that it's getting steady and it's getting you know, it used to just be this recreational drug. I've, I mean, I've been using marijuana since I was a teenager <laughs> and, you know, it was more just for fun. And, and then I kind of went through this phase of not using it because it just felt like I was over that part of it. But now using it more as a medicinal, it's, you know, I'm seeing all these other aspects of it, which has been pretty amazing. So. Yeah. My, uh, for the for our listeners, uh, my daughter has a rare genetic disorder called Prader-Willi syndrome, and that is something that a specialist spoke to me about this summer um, when we took her to see her. That it's uh, they're talking about starting research into CBD oil use with uh, kids with her diagnosis. I think to I think it's to deal with the anxiety mm -hmm. that yeah, comes from it. It's incredible anti-anxiety. The CBD. Yeah, and they're starting, they're wanting to start with kids that are, I think, seven years old. Wow. So I'm excited for that study to come out. But. Yeah. So your, does your understanding of cannabis as a medicinal plant, does that feed into the, into the spiritual part of it? Or is that a whole other relationship? I mean, how, what's that connection that you have to the plant? What is that um, spiritual connection? Well, gosh. <laughs> I've actually done a lot of um, a lot of work with plants, and I've been studying plant spirit communication, and um, so I have a, a really good relationship with the cannabis plant in that way. And she's really an amazing teacher in, for me in a lot of ways, and one of them being just really helping me to look at a all the different perspectives of a situation and helping me to really like guide my way through of what really needs to happen. You know, like when you're feeling, especially if you're feeling stressed or whatever, and you kind of get single-minded about, okay, this is what I got to do. Um, cannabis has been really good as far as like 
oh, well, what about these things that you could be doing? And, you know, really helping me see the bigger picture of what's going on and not just what my little narrow mind can be, but really opening me up in that way. So um, as far as that, you know, she's been an amazing teacher in that way. Really, she's really a master, one of our master plants and a, a major teacher. And in some cultures, she's, you know, she's used only in ceremony, you know, and um, in, in our culture, she's, it's, it's so casual, you know. Um, so I, I'm really excited and I noticed that there are some people now doing ceremonies with her and I'm excited about that coming more in. So she's being, really being recognized for one of our master plants and a major teacher for, for all of humans, you know, so. Do you have an idea, Ketnip, of what that, um, what that would look like inside ceremony? Because, I mean, that to me is a fascinating topic because I am um, someone who has a great sensitivity to this plant. I can't take it recreationally because I'll be that person in the corner just kind of like, you know, rubbing my own forehead and just waiting for everything <laughs> to kind of feel normal again. Um, it's, it's a very big, powerful medicine for me. And I usually need to like go be by myself and like take deep breaths and kind of go through the, you know, the psychic birth canal basically. Um, so <laughs> I'm curious, what, what would that look like, um, in use in ceremony? Do you have an experience or, um, kind of knowledge of what that would, would, would look like? Um, well, for myself is usually more do, you know, I don't always even adjust it. I'll just do a shamanic journey with the plant and connect um, on the level of, you know, going down to the underworld and, and just having a conversation with the plant, um, talking to it about what its healing gifts are. Um, she's led me through different um, situations and um, given me gifts and things like that, you know, um, I've also, you know, there's different breathing you can do with a plant, you know, our plants are breath, right? So if you are breathing with your plant and you exchanging brand, you know, we're giving them our carbon dioxide and they're giving us our oxygen. So we're actually exchanging yeah. breath with plants all the time. So, mm -hmm. you know, just even a simple ceremony of breathing with your plant and it's amazing, you know, what can come through. Um, so. Yeah. You know, but there's also other, I know that people are doing bigger ceremonies and they are also, you know, they're ingesting the plant in many different forms and they're doing different journeys and exercises, you know, within that. You've done ceremonies with other plants. Mm -hmm. um, how does this, like, what would be something new that this could bring to that? Or how would it be different than, say, doing, you know, peyote or... Well, I think that cannabis is a little more gentler than some plants, <laughs> for one. <laughs> so um, I think that we can do it a little more and still have our, you know, regular life. It's not going to blow us out of the water quite as much, which is sometimes really nice. You know, it's good to be blown out of the water sometimes, but yeah. <laughs> not all the time. And not everybody wants to do that or can do that, you know. Right. And so cannabis, and even like, you know, you were, what Amy was saying, you know, having a hard time ingesting cannabis because, you know, it's just too hard for her. But like the CBDs where you don't really feel a, a high from it, you can ingest that and you're still getting the essence of the plant. You can also take mm -hmm. flower essences, you know, that's just made 
um, where you don't get high at all, but you're still getting that essence of the plant and you can still get its teachings. And, you know, the teachings are different for everybody, you know, so it's mm -hmm. whatever our relationship is with mm -hmm. that plant and what it is that we need from that plant. So, I mean, were you drawn to the cannabis plant because of a love for plants and that connection or <clears throat> did you feel that relationship to cannabis b before? And that's what drew you to studying herbal medicine. Was I first interested in herbal medicine and then I discovered cannabis? Or, or did cannabis bring you into herbal medicine? Yes. Um, I think I, got, I was introduced to cannabis first because I was a young teenager and really wasn't thinking much about herbalism then. But, right. but I was interested. I mean, even from a very young age, I was planting stuff. My mom was a amateur botanist and we'd go out and look at flowers. So I've always been interested in plants. Um, but as far as, I don't think that cannabis necessarily brought me into herbal medicine, but I also, you know, but I think I was, in, I was definitely introduced to cannabis first before herbal medicine. So I think maybe it definitely opened me up to a different lifestyle. I think that it helps us to feel more free in who we are mm -hmm. um, in general, at least it did for me. And I think it does for a lot of people. Uh, so I think because of that, it's, you know, in some roundabout way, it has brought me to where I am now, which is doing herbalism. And so I'm curious, this wasn't on our, our list of questions, but it's just, I'm, I'm just deeply compelled by your unique, um, just, you know, rich ideas around, um, I think just the, the whole, uh, the, the spiritual aspect of this, which is really not something that we've gone into too much. And I, I feel like you just have so much wealth of information to share in that. And so um, this is, this is a long winded one, but <laughs> bear with me. So it, it makes me think of, so I remember as a teenager and you know, someone saying something to the effect of, you know, if you're, you go into an acid trip, you know, with, with fear in your mind or with the, you know, kind of bad stuff going on already, that's going to show up in your, you know, in your experience. And so it's better to say no and walk away mm -hmm. if that's the place that you're coming from. And it makes me think of kind of that overarching intention of why you choose to work with this plant, you know, coming back to the, are you doing this because you have a deep love and reverence for the plant or are you doing this because you just want to put up a whole bunch of greenhouses and make a whole bunch of money? Do you think that the, the intention and, the, and that level of reverence or not that you bring to this in, makes an impact beyond um, just the monetary? What, what, do you, what do you think of that as far as, you know, what do you come with a, a, a level of reverence? Do you come with a level of honoring the plant in that way? Or are you just there to turn it into a cash crop? Does that make a difference in the end, in the final product, in the final? Well, I certainly think it does. <laughs> and yeah. um, when I, you know, from the beginning of planting my seeds, I'm making a prayer with each seed that I plant. I plant each seed with a prayer. I, you know, I, you know, really honor each plant as it's growing and each one is my baby. You know, I, I don't do a big, huge scene. I just do a small amount of plants. So it's easy to know each one pretty individually as they're growing, you know, I sing to them and I, um, you know, talk to them and I really make strong prayers that this is medicine that's going out there. And I really feel like these are they're like our ambassadors, you know, the ambassadors between the, the plant world and the human world. And they, you know, 
because they really can teach the people and even people that are just smoking. A lot of times, if you've noticed when people smoke that they, they get connected with nature, you know, it's just, it happens often for people like they might not notice something and all of a sudden, oh my God, look at that flower. Look at that, you know, that incredible leaf or that sunset or whatever. And they, it really heightens that awareness of that. And because of that, I feel like they're kind of those ambassadors between the plant kingdom and the human world. And so I really try in my intentions and in my prayers, I really try and talk to the plants about that, that they can bring that, you know, awareness even stronger for, for the people that, you know, because sometimes you're not quite sure where this is going. You know, I try most of it. I have really good sources that go to, um, to make medicines and stuff. And other times it's like, you know, I'm not quite sure who's, who's going to end up with the medicine at times. So I always send out those little prayers and those intentions so that it's going to be, you know, creating some good will out there in the world. And I feel like it really does make a difference. And I also feel like, you know, just the whole place that we grow it in and, you know, with the beautiful sun and the, you know, the creeks and the rivers flowing by and the, you know, the clean air and all that is all part of that. And I really try and include all that and when I'm growing these plants and so that that is really infused with, you know, the beauty and the wildness of Humboldt County. (laughs) So it's all part of it. So one of the things that I found fascinating was a conversation with you about when you pay your workers and you give them a little bit on the side to be used as basically their taxes, Mm -hmm. right? To, To put into the community somewhere in a place of their choosing. But that is the idea is that this is not for them to spend on themselves, but it's for them to put back into the community. Exactly. Yeah. We, we give like a 10% above what their normal wage is. We give them that as this is what we call their donation money and they need to donate it to a cause that they believe in can choose whatever it is. But it, like you said, it's not for you. It's, it's just so that you give, you're giving back to the world because so many, so often this is a business where it's like, it's all coming in. And a lot of people are very generous and they're giving out too, but sometimes people don't always remember to do that. So we're (laughs) making sure that that happens. And, and we're doing that too, because we are, you know, not on the books and it's difficult, you know, sometimes, you know, because I want to be able to give back, but it is that whole, you know, it's getting easier now that you can do that because it's becoming legal. But, but we always felt like we wanted to, you know, give to our community, but we didn't want to support the military. <laughs> right. So this was our way of being able to do that and to, you know, to find different nonprofits and different, you know, we tried to spread it out between like environmental and civil liberties and, you know, different things that felt really important to to give extra, even like the library and the, you know, fire and all that stuff, you know, so that everybody was getting a little bit of, of that. But, um, you know, and that was our, like what we called our self-imposed tax, so. Do you know of other people in your community that are, are, are doing that same type of type of thing where they, they because um, I, I love the idea of giving it, of passing it along to your, your workers as well. It's just like, no, we want to we keep this going out, going to the community. Yeah. 
Yeah, I don't, I don't actually know. We've shared it with other people that this is what we do in hopes oh. that it will happen, but I haven't actually heard of anyone actually doing it, but they, they might very well be doing that. I don't know. Yeah. We had a couple questions about the general one, you know, we've been looking at a few of the stereotypes associated with this. And this, again, you know, these stories are being told from these kind of more hugely sensationalized, huge, you know, kind of rape the land industrial style grows. And, um, you know, so one of the lines is, you know, you can't have children in this, you know, that would just be a completely insane life to rear up a child in. Um, <laughs> I, I wonder if you could speak to that. Well, actually, I've been raising, I have a daughter who's now 13. So she's been involved in this from the very beginning. She's very open and beautiful. And, you know, I don't, I think it's been an incredible life for her. And I think that the cannabis has allowed us to have the freedom to raise her in a very beautiful way you know we don't have a big scene um so we have a lot of time for her uh, i homeschool her and um and she's very much a part she doesn't get involved with the cannabis business we keep let her you know she knows all about it and she sees it and you know it's around her but you know she's doing other things it's just part of one of the medicinal herbs that we have and she sees that it has its value and know that and to know that it's you know it's all okay and it doesn't have to be a secret or it doesn't have to be anything else you know and the people we always make sure we have people that come around that feel really good and safe and family and so when we have extra people helping us you know in the harvest season it's always been a pleasure for her, actually, because she likes having more people around and, and uh, they usually give her really lots of nice energy. And so it's just a good win-win situation, I think. I'm curious, just as someone who has put them, their whole selves into this work, you know, not just as a way to make a living, but just, you know, as something that you have poured your, your prayers and your, your love into, what is your perspective to people that have come into this industry within the last, you know, five, six years and have really, uh, what is your perspective on this? How have you seen the industry change and what is your, what is your, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I'm actually quite sad about it in a way, um, in a big way, actually. Um, it's changing. I told you I grew up in the Bay Area, you know, and I kind of left that my early 20s because it was just too much of a rat race there. And now it's starting to become that up here. You know, it's like people are driving around really fast. They feel like they've got things to do. And it's just changed the whole vibe of like how people relate to each other more and and also, you know, I'm, I've actually been experienced some, some things where uh, really special places that I have gone, you know, with our, on our lands, our neighbor's land, not our personal land, but our neighbor's land, and um, is now becoming, you know, a, a cannabis scene. And it's kind of like, this is kind of a sacred place for me. And it's, it's really hurtful, you know, that the sacredness is getting turned over into cash. Yeah, I'm sad about it. I'm really sad about it and uh, disappointed that it has to happen this way. I guess it's kind of the way of the world a little bit, but I keep hope, I keep wishing that this culture was different. You know, I felt like that that's why we were all here in the first place. We are here to kind of get away from that and really be back to the land and growing our food and 
you know, just being one with the earth. And now it's kind of shifting over to, you know, I mean, the other day I was at the dump and there was like, there was a lineup of like big trucks with trailers and there was like, you could see that was like old greenhouses and all the plastic bags from the soil. And, you know, it's just like, it's creating a much bigger situation where it's, you know, the environment is suffering from it. And I'm seeing, you know, a lot of people are cashing in, you know, and trying to grow as much as they can while the money is, you know, still there. And, you know, and then they'll be get out, but then the environment is what suffers from it. I'm really sad about that. And it's really changing the feel of my home. I hear a lot more traffic. I hear generators. I see bright lights from, you know, greenhouses at night. And uh, so it really has changed the whole play. In fact, I've, I've even considered moving <laughs> just because mm. of... You know, it's not really why I came. It's not why I came. You know, I came because I really love the life. I love the land. I, it was a help, a means to help me live on the land. And that was why I was growing my cannabis so I could live a free life on the land and um, make ends meet, you know. Um, but now it feels like, especially with all the the new regulations and the permitting and, and everything else, people are going to grow more and more and more in order to make ends meet. And, and so it's becoming more of just a mainstream thing. So it's, it's sad. It feels like the end of an era. And can it even sustain it? You know, can the environment sustain it? Can the market sustain it? All that is a question that I have, you know, mm -hmm. is how is it all going to really play out in the end? And we really don't know. And Sorry to interrupt, but at this point during the interview, the good old Humboldt County internet got too wonky to continue. So Amy had to check out, um, but I did finish the interview with Catnip, and I hope you enjoy the rest. Can you speak to how things have changed you you said um that it's made you sad mm -hmm. and that is we were talking about the legalization and mm -hmm. the permits and can you just you know perhaps briefly or whatever explain again why you see that as a problem i guess what i see as a problem a lot is that it's becoming just the main focus uh, is, you know, how much can we grow so we can make as much money? It's not really often, I mean, this is not everybody, but um, I see a lot of people coming in and that's what they're thinking about is money quantity. They're not really respecting the plant for, for the plant. Um, they're not respecting the earth um, and the environment while they're growing. They're just like, how can we do this as quickly and as profitably as we can? And they're also not respecting their customers because maybe they're not growing organically and or they're not growing using the sun, they're growing in, inside and all that stuff, you know. So I think it affects the quality a lot and it also, just the whole spirit of the, of the plant, it affects and and the medicine that we're getting in the, as an end result. 
And I also feel like it's, you know, it's definitely changing the whole environment of where we're living. You know, there's a lot more noise pollution. There's a lot more light pollution. Um, and there's definitely a lot more just air pollution even and, and the water and everything. And, and there's, you know, the water is more scarce. You know, I, I always think of Humboldt County as a place that has so much water. Mm-hmm. And yet now we're struggling and the salmon are struggling. And, um, and it's because there's just too many people drawing off of these creeks that, you know, it, it can't sustain it anymore. So it's, you know, it's people are doing agriculture on land a lot of the land that they're doing agriculture on is not agricultural land it's not set up for that mm-hmm. so it's it's causing tr- problems you know um, so it's interesting and we'll see what happens in in the long term if maybe it'll all move down to the valley where it's more ag land I don't know you know or maybe it will stay in Humboldt and that's what I'm I hope that you know I feel like it's the right climate for it but then you know I also part of me wants it to all go away so we could have our own life again you know um I'm actually you know if it did go away it would be okay because even though it would my life would change a lot I I think it's more important that the quality is there and and that we can still live a nice life in the country and we will make ends meet in some way you know mm-hmm. Uh, rather than feeling like I have to live this rat race life. And like you were saying before, you know, well, welcome to the world, right? That we everybody's living that life. But is that really the way that people should live in this world? You know, I mean, should, you know, is our whole existence in this world so we can make enough money to be able to live? Or is it so that we can live a beautiful life mm-hmm. and have the money to sustain so that we can feed ourselves and house ourselves and clothe ourselves, you know, there's that level. Or do we need to have tons of money so that we can buy a lot of stuff and create a lot of garbage and, um, you know, just consume, uh-huh. basically. So, you know, it's like those two things. And what I'm hoping is that, you know, that Humboldt County can be a place that really is the thing that's important is the quality of life and not the quantity of what you have, but what quality is. So what did you see it change? Well, it started, I mean, when I first moved here, we were all still gorilla growing out in the forests. Um, no one had any plants in their yard. And I remember the first time I saw a plant, you know, when 215 happened and people were starting to grow plants in their yard, I was like, oh my goodness, I can't believe that they're doing that. It felt like so, like, ballsy to just like, you know, like, here's my plant, you know. And uh, and yet it worked and everyone was doing it and we were so, you know, conservative and you know, really trying to like, we, we, you know, we really valued our freedom. We didn't want to get in any trouble. So we were trying to be very conservative and very, you know, um, kind of quiet about what we were doing at that time. And, uh, you know, didn't really want to, you know, cause when I was first there, it was like the camp was flying and, you know, people Dope would, on they, a rope. Yep. They would be coming, they'd take <laughs> your plants and all that. So, we tried to keep things very, you know, we didn't want it right in our yard. 
But then, you know, as time went on, people were getting more, you know, like open with it. And we realized we could be more open with it too, which is great. But it seemed like in the last, I don't know, uh, like four years or something, it feels like it's really escalated, you know, to a point where it's just like it's becoming a bigger like everybody's doing it more and more people are coming in and you know buying up land and growing really big scenes Um, and it seems like each year it's getting more and more Uh, so that's you know a big shift right there but when the 215 was a you know was the first shift and then when it started being talked about being legalized is when the next shift so it was those two you know, uh-huh. where it felt like we could be more open about what was going on. That was definitely a defining moment of before and after. Yeah, the light depths really made a big difference for a lot of people. And i that's not really my world because yeah. I haven't done that. And I know a few people that do, but not that many people that do um, that are, are in my normal people that I hang out with. So... But I did. I do notice that when light depth started happening, it definitely, it felt like, then all of a sudden people could grow that much more, and that start is was the beginning of the escalation. I think maybe well, maybe that. that's what it yeah. was. Yeah, because I didn't really understand it. I don't know what caused mm-hmm. that shift. I don't know if there was some change in legislation or if it was just. <laughs> I think it was the the people realizing that they could do that really (laughs) the knowledge of (laughs) the knowledge of being able to tweak this plant in a way that it can grow and you could you know not double your harvest but you could get a whole nother pre-harvest before you harvest again right extend extend it uh, yeah fiscal year yes (laughs) (laughs) so i wonder if we could do like trace it back to the people that figured out you could do that we could just shake our fists yeah. at them what did you do <laughs> well so we've kind of touched on this already and you said it uh so beautifully about um your hopes for the future of Humboldt mm-hmm. um and do you think it's possible at this point do you think it's possible to get back to that more simplistic earth-based out of the rat race kind of life at this point. I certainly hope so. (laughs) I hope that I, you know, whether we can do it as a community, I mean, if if we can, Humboldt is a place that we could probably do it because there is a lot of spirit of that here in this place. And uh, a lot of people that are really, their roots are here. That's why we're here. There's been a lot of infiltration of people from other other communities and other, you know, lifestyles that are coming in. And that's kind of been changing it. You know, there's a lot more going on than what was. And now <clears throat> it feels like, you know, a lot of <clears throat> a lot of people have come in, maybe have more of the money making thing. But if it either we can influence those people or maybe those people will leave, then maybe, yes, we could have that again. Because I do feel like, you know, we've had, you know, a green um, city council and, you know, all that here in Arcata and, you know, and just, you know, there's a lot of really alternative people and a lot of people that do really value this nature that live here. Uh So, 
yeah, I have that hope and I have, I put out that prayer for sure that it'll happen that way again, you know, but I guess the future will, you know, unveil itself and we'll see what happens as, as things roll along and yeah, it's, it's quite a ride. (laughs) Well, this is the wild west a little bit and, uh, you know, it's been a community of outlaws and people really living on the land and if you if you don't you know maybe things will shift but right now there's most of the pieces of land don't have um you know they're not on the grid so you have to you know have alternative energy so there's a whole learning curve there the whole water trip is a whole learning curve there so if you don't have some kind of uh you know inclination to that of like how to how to do that then it's going to be a struggle so you know there is that you know that we still have that wildness uh-huh. and i think it's going to be that way um it's going to take a while to tame humble all the way so you know that's i guess maybe our might be our saving grace <laughs> that'll that'll you know keep it wild and maybe we will be able to wild claim it back free. yeah <laughs> wild and free and... keep those slides on one-on-one happening <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there's, I know I, I kind of hate that in some ways, but in some, you know, that it inconveniences people and it's hard and all that. But, you know, there's a part of me that's really happy that it's that way because it does keep it wild. Uh And, you know, that's why I'm here and I don't want this to become, uh, you know, San Francisco or Los Angeles. This is, I'm up here because I want the beauty and I want the peace and I want you know the wild land and the the birds and the flowers and the trees and you know the rivers that's all part of it you know and if I wanted to be you know living in a city with a lot of people and a lot of money and stuff then I would be down there this is what you know I'm wanting the wild so you know may it be so (laughs) cheers to that (laughs) So thank you, thank you very much for coming, yeah, and sharing your story and uh, being willing to open up about this because I think, um, as Amy and I were saying, this feels really important that people understand this part about it. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me, and um, and I really appreciate that you are doing this work too because it's important that uh, the our stories are heard out there in the world and. It's nice to be able to like be able to share that with the bigger world that you know we're yes we might be outlaws but we're really good people and we have a lot of positive stuff that we're doing in the world and you know we're you know putting our money to good causes we're you know you know a lot of people that I know that are that are using this to support doing bigger work in the world you know midwives and and political people and um, environmentalists and you know that it's really hard to do that work without Mm -hmm. having a little bit of extra income you know and so this is what this enables all of us to do so so thank you for for you know sharing you know shedding some light on the bigger picture yeah yeah thank you both for having me
She is an artist. The herbs are her palette. With a broad sweep of her hand, she adds color to the kettle. Chamomile for calmness. Rose hips for nutrition. Tulsi to bring back the joy. The kettle is her canvas. My illness, her inspiration. She hums a tune under her breath as her hand dances across the plants. Nettles for iron, licorice for stability, raspberry leaf for my weakened womb. The aroma of her creation wafts boldly across the room, tantalizing my body, urging me to heal. The artist completes her piece with one final flourish, honey for sweetness. She then, gracefully and without attachment, releases her work and places it into my waiting hands. You've been listening to Mend, Life at the Seams. Thanks for joining us. If you like what you hear, be sure to skip on over to iTunes and rate us or leave a review. Tell us what you think. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter under the handle Mend Podcast and keep the conversation rolling there. Or drop us a line and let us know how we're doing. Our email address is mendpodcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear your thoughts. Join us every Tuesday as we bring you new episodes, fresh insights and stories from this subterranean tribe. Mend is a collaboration of Annie Fricky and Amy Day. Thanks for tuning in.